Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hello everyone, it's Marissa and Jason. We're back for another episode of Soccer Geeks and I'm really excited to talk to our guest today and I'll let you introduce him in a little bit, but it kind of brings back uh, everything full circle, which, um, you know, when you're involved in soccer, whether it's at the youth level or semi-pro, pro, pro, um, you kind of maintain those connections and Luckily, we have the opportunity to talk to um, someone we worked with over five years ago. Um, or I, I would say I worked with him. Yeah. You worked. With, he was involved in the team we worked. that we worked. It worked. Yeah. We were working. <laughs> we were working and it yes. worked. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what's great is uh, one of the one of the wonderful things uh, that we've been able to uh, and experiences we've been able to have Marissa is to work with uh, collegiate and youth players and to kind of have our own rendition of Boys to Men on the podcast today. So it's pretty exciting. <laughs> so I'm I'm so pumped uh, to see um, some of the players that we got an opportunity to work with make a big impact in the world, not just on the soccer field but on the sidelines as well. And so mm-hmm. I'm real excited to have. Uh, former player of ours and uh, all around wonderful young man, Joe LaCosta is going to come on the show today. So uh, Joe has his bachelor's in health and wellness uh, promotion. He also just finished his MA in management and uh, he is the current assistant head coach at university North at North Carolina, Asheville. So why don't you go ahead and bring Joe on the show? Hello, there Joe. He is. What's Hello. up, Joe? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing Thanks well. Thanks for joining us. We're doing awesome, man. Thanks for joining us today. We are, we're really excited uh, to have a, gr- a conversation. We think it's going to be great catching up with you and to hear about how um, your experiences over your playing career have really affected and, and helped shape you uh, to the coach that you're, you're being molded into. So thanks, and we're, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation and talking soccer. Thanks a awesome. ton, buddy. Appreciate it. I'll be back towards the end, and uh, you guys enjoy your conversation. I'll be here behind the scenes. Thanks. You're the best, Marissa. We appreciate you. Uh, so, Joe, um, you know, talked about a little bit of your credentials there from just a degree standpoint. Uh, can you kind of give a little bit of understanding of just what, um, you know, your bachelor's uh, and your master's degrees that you've had kind of equipped you for the role that you now have yourself as a coach? Yeah, 100%. So my undergraduate degree was in health and wellness um, promotion here at UNC Asheville. And that was more based on the scientific side, kind of health and wellness, also diving into the public health kind of sphere sphere as well. Um, So I took a lot of, you know, classes, um, pathophysiology, you know, strength and conditioning classes that help kind of take me down a road where if I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, a PT, something as that aspect. And then I also took a lot of classes more towards mental health, public health, policymaking, and things like that. After, after my undergraduate degree, I took a year um, to dive into coaching before I went to a different university just up the road and did a master's in management program, which was more on the business side of things. Um, a lot of management, leadership things, but also more on the business economic side, which was obviously a shift for me from my undergraduate degree, but something that was, you know, very unique and helped prepare me more overall for kind of coaching and the, the business side of it as well. Yeah. What does that look like? Uh, the business, I mean, we get, I get the 
the physical side and the physio side, you know, from a coaching standpoint, right? But um, even being in a you know a college context, what does that business management side look like? Is it scholarships and, and budgets? Is it you know submitting a budget to the um, you know the athletic directors that what you need for travel? What does that look like? Yeah, schol- scholarship, budget, fundraising, all of that. Um, submitting things to the AD that. That I think was my biggest, you know, shock when I went into the college coaching was how much outside work goes into it. Um, not just the soccer side, but the scholarship, the budget, you know, making sure simple things as we have food for post game, food for pregame. Uh, how much is that going to cost? You know, the buses, are we taking vans? What's the, what's the cost, you know, between the two things like that. So, and then obviously the management side also plays in making presentations to show the athletic director on, you know, maybe it's some um, facilities that need to be updated or, you know, things that other schools in the conference do that we would like to, you know, steal a little bit and making proposals and things like that. Yeah. It's funny because that's all the stuff that we were doing behind the scene when we had the MPSL and USL PDL two team, whatever we were working on, you know, we didn't, uh, I didn't have the luxury Joe of having a college course in it. We were just kind of thrown, <laughs> thrown in it. And you know, it's funny as thinking of the other teams, even back in the day, you know, I remember another local team, you know, they would take their teams to Taco Bell, you know, after games, or that was like their pregame food or something like that. And, you know, we always tried to take real good care of you guys. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, back then and even now makes me just so proud is, you know, we wanted to equip the players that played with us and for us, uh, not just for life on the soccer field, but for life after. Um, and so I wanted, I was wondering if you might be able to uh, share just a little bit about, you know, what that was like for you, um, you know, playing in the system we currently have in the country, right? You know, not on a pro contract or anything like that, but you decided to go the college route. There's this system in place with um, kind of tier three slash tier four clubs across the country with, uh, you know, NPSL or uh, USL2 that affords opportunities for college players to kind of stay in shape and, you know, and also be a little bit showcased on a national stage. Um, just from your experience, you know, choosing that path in college, can you kind of talk about what that experience was like for you as a player, a collegiate player, kind of working in the system and mechanisms that our country has set up? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up, you know, playing soccer from a young age. I grew up just playing club. I never played in the DA, um, you know, had a few opportunities, but played for some really good club teams throughout. And when I, when I was looking to go to a university, um, you know, there, there was quite a lot of options. And at first it was overwhelming for me and my family trying to, you know, not that I had a bunch of options, but trying to figure out, okay, you know, these are schools that interest me and they have kind of certain boxes that I like in terms of academics, athletics, and also school size, things of that nature. So once I was able to narrow down, you know, the schools that I was really interested trying to get recruited, there was a whole different process um, and trying to to kind of do it on my own because I never had anybody in my family do it. You know, my parents, they, they were going through soccer when I was. So everything we were doing was a learning experience and then trying to play, you know, club and go to these showcases and managing, you know, how do I get to a school that I want to go to that also wants me. So not just <laughs> yeah. saying I'm going to go anywhere in the country or I'm going to go to any possible school because I want to play, but finding a, you know, a, a school that has a career that can set me up for my future career. So going to to college in North Carolina was obviously a a massive kind of culture shock for me, um, culture difference. And 
I had some friends from back home and some people I knew that came out to North Carolina, you know, in similar times, which made the transition easy. But the college system was definitely um, different. And the USL League too, the NPSL, figuring out how to navigate those in the summers between colleges was was very interesting. And I had to lean on a lot of players um, or a lot of people, a lot of coaches, former coaches, current coaches at the time that helped me navigate, you know, teams and how to get on a team, which teams would be beneficial for me and what kind of systems and environments they're going to provide. But yeah. overall, you know, it, it was a good experience. And, you know, now looking back, I've got to see a, a lot of different environments between college and, you know, summer league setups. And I, I can take kind of the things I want to and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, for your, your career from a playing standpoint, you know, there was kind of a, there was a kind of a moment for you where you kind of had to realize like, all right, like this is not, I'm not going to end up getting into the the system as far as, you know, playing at a higher level or things like that. And so, you know, what, what was it for you that kind of kicked off this pivot into coaching? Yeah. So I, I always had two goals and, you know, I actually wanted to be a professional. Um, you know, I think as every young kid in America does, or that plays any sport has that dream to be a professional, but on the flip side, I always knew I wanted to get coaching probably from around high school. You know, interesting enough, I, I had some very good role models, you know, conversation with my parents. I just, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. Um, and so it was always in the back of my mind that the transition would be from playing to coaching. So as I went through it and, you know, played on some good summer teams, play, played for college, had some ups and downs and a few good years, few not so good years, individually did well. Um, I started to realize that the player I was was never going to be an MLS player. I was never going to make it in Europe. I I thought, you know, they were coming out of college and out of some USL League 2 NPSL teams. I thought, you know, maybe I could make it in League 1, maybe the championship, maybe go – you know, overseas to some, some lower levels, you know, maybe in a Scandinavian country. But as I was coming out and just realizing my pathway and, you know, I knowing I wanted to get into coaching and knowing the opportunities that I had and the opportunities that I also didn't have, um, I realized that it was just time to, to kind of hang up the boots in a sense in the, in the competitive way and take that next step into coaching, just knowing that, you know, I wasn't going to be in the MLS. I wasn't going to be in a, a big, a big league in Europe and realizing that was it worth, uh, you know, a few more years of just chasing, chasing contract to contract playing in random parts of the world and, you know, at a lower level and barely scraping by month to month rent, or was it worth trying to start, you know, early into my coaching career and kind of take that next step down that path? Yeah. And that's, you know, we, we know stories of people that we both mutually know where that has worked for them. You know, or that's kind of the dream that they wanted to chase, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, on the other hand, there's nothing wrong. You know, it's not a, a lack of belief in yourself. It's just that you know you kind of realize that unless you get a lot of major luck or a lot of major breaks, you're just being very pragmatic about the situation. Um, so, from a coaching standpoint, and kind of pivoting into that, um, you know, there's a lot of licensing and things like that that's involved. So, can you kind of just share where your your licensing is currently at with us? Yeah, so I actually just enrolled for my U.S. Soccer C license, which will happen at uh, more towards October, and that'll be four to five month uh, licensing period that I'll take. So I 
I did my grassroots um, courses here in Asheville, which was easy, you know, one day, yeah. you know, go in person, few people, you know, ranging from volunteers to some college coaches like myself did that. And then after about six months, I enrolled in my D, D license course, which, you know, I did that in North Carolina, um, more towards the, the central part of the state. So down in Raleigh, but met some really wonderful people, um, got some unique opportunities from that. I'm still actually in contact with the instructor. And so I had to wait from that D course. You have to take a one year kind of gap period. Um, it's, it's a development period. So one year to kind of develop what you've learned in the D Use course. Use license. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've taken that year and then looking, you know, ahead at the schedule, I realized my, my one year is just about to finish. And I, started to look and think that, yeah, I want to continue, obviously, as a coach, I want to continue getting my licenses and things like that. So I, I took the next step. And luckily for me, I know, uh, I know a few people that will be in my C course. And then yeah. the youth club that I, I work for has, you know, helped sponsor me in the sense uh, to get my license, because it is, you know, a bit expensive as you get up there. Yeah. So, so you are working kind of in that youth space, and you're working in the collegiate space as well. Yeah. So what, I what, coach, what age teams are you teaching in at the club level? So I have an 08 boys team, which is about seventh and eighth graders and an 06 boys team that is um, sophomores, mainly in high school. And that group I've been working for with for about two, two and a half years now. So I've really had that team. And then this 08 team, I've just recently taken over. Okay. What's the um, what's kind of the number of kids at the club you're currently at right now? Roughly. Um, it'd be hard to tell. They have about in Asheville, there's really two clubs. The club I work at is mainly the bigger club and they have from, you know, under nine to under 18, two to three teams in each age group on the boys side and one to two on the girls side. Um, if I believe correctly, I, I want to say there's around 50 teams on the boys side and maybe 39 to 45 on the girls side i think you're on mute i am joe i'll introduce you to a guest of the show today another guest of the show this is come here buddy this is uh oh, oh my gosh here he is this is dempsey the golden doodle and he's, uh, he's a co-host and he's, he's chewing stuff around my feet so i was just <laughs> like that's why i was on mute i was like what the heck is he doing here hi buddy he is an official mascot, Soccer Geeks podcast, but he's a lot of fun. It's but Dempsey, mascot. yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, who else am I going to name him after? I mean, the greatest. <laughs> uh, actually, it was you know, I know you saw, but recently voted to the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, Clint Dempsey. Yeah, very well deserved. Well, um, yeah. The only reason why I asked you is just for context, right, of clubs, because I, uh, you know, I have never lived in North Carolina. I don't know necessarily. You know, Asheville is a pretty big city. You just never know how many clubs are. You know, you know what it's like. Be, coming from Southern California, you know how dense um, uh, soccer populations are here. So um, it, it, it was very different coming out here and getting involved in the club scene. Just because, obviously, you know, I grew up in California. My whole youth career was yeah. in Southern California. You know, ranging teams from San Diego to Santa Barbara, varying club sizes. You know, yeah. varying levels. But here, it's 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 much different in the sense. I feel like. The state is dominated by a few clubs. Um, you know, the club I work for is definitely not on that scale yet. But in the sense in Asheville, there's only, there's really two clubs, but the other club only has about eight teams total. 
Wow. Okay. Um, so it really is, and I mean, the the one club kind of dominates the area, and the next, the next most competitive, I guess, ECNL team is about an hour and a half away. Holy cow! Okay, so there's more travel involved. Yes. A lot more travel. That's what I imagine. There's less clubs, more travel. I mean, it looks like the population in Asheville is somewhere around 100,000 100, people. So a little bit different than growing up in Orange County for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> a little yes. bit different. Um, man, I, I again, I think that it's very pragmatic and, and wonderful. And it, it's great how even though while you were working on your playing career, you know, things would, you know, shift in one way or another. That's great. But all the while, you're you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and you're kind of prepping for things, which is kind of preparing you for the role that you have today. Um as you kind of made that that transition from you know player to coach and and started working more on the coaching side, a um, couple couple questions I, I would love to ask along those lines is just um, do you feel that it's it's more valuable to you having the extensive playing experience that you had at the collegiate level? Like, do you feel that that actually is going to help you understand more from a coaching X's and O's uh, perspective? You know, having having known where you were uh, in your own career and what your potential was, you know, whether you met that or not, and all those things. But how do you, do you feel that that really helped you be a better coach today? Yeah, one hundred percent. I think you know, other than the fact that you get to you get to play for different coaches and you know, good, bad, and different, whatever it is, you take things from every coach you've played for. So the longer you play, the more the more examples, the the more role models you can have, and the more things you can take from other people. Um, but in terms of college, I think it does help the X's and O's. I think, you know, you, you don't need that playing experience maybe necessarily, but it does help. It, I think it makes the transition a bit, bit quicker, but also in terms of it, it helps you understand the players. You know, yeah. I'm younger. I, I've graduated from the university. Our head coaches graduated from the university. We know a bit more, you know, about the scheduling of the school, you know, what classes may be tougher, when they should be, you know, loading up on their courses, you know, how kind of the school runs in terms of the cafeteria, the dorms, maybe some more ins and outs of things that yeah. because I went through the system myself, I can, I can help the players that maybe they wouldn't be able to navigate quite as effectively if they didn't have somebody that, you know, just, just went through it all. Yeah, and I want to I want to get to some of that, you know, because it kind of seems that you're you've got the role not only of coach, uh, but you know also like a play, player liaison, being an assistant coach. I mean, you're kind of there to not only be able to come alongside the head coach and execute what they want to see in a training session, but you're also there at, on the sidelines, you know, and even off the field to kind of help them kind of stay on track as well. Um, you talked about reaching out to past coaches or the influences of past coaches. And I just was wondering if you might be able to share with us, you know, to kind of one up, one down, like what, what do you think was like the most valuable, you know, nugget that's just kind of stuck with you? And what's the one thing that you found to be probably the, the worst piece of advice you've received? <laughs> that's a fantastic question. So um, I'm going to say maybe the worst piece of advice would be somebody told me something along the lines of, you know, if, if you're naturally good enough, you'll make it. If you're not naturally good enough, you're just never going to get, you're never going to become a good player. And I think that was, that resonated with me a lot because I have seen both cases. I've seen 
you know, naturally gifted players fail over and over again. And I've seen, you know, players that I grew up with that were not nearly as naturally gifted, but hard work, perseverance, you know, they grew into their body, they became more athletic, they put in the work, you know, guys that are now professionals. So I think that, yeah. and I I couldn't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, you, you know, naturally gifted players will just always be better. And I just strongly disagree with that statement. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of my daughter's coaches, you know, even she's a, she's a 10 years old and one of her coach, you know, during COVID, uh, you know, had told the kids, you know, that famous Alex Ferguson quote, which is, you know, hard work beats talent when talent won't work hard. And we talk about it all time. And I talk about that with her because she's, she's the youngest of three girls, you know, her room's a flipping mess. She's like a tornado around the house. I'm like, listen, like your sister that you think you have more flair over now, even though she's two years older than you, like her career could end up being longer because she's willing to put in the work and she's willing to take care and be responsible and accountable for her actions. Whereas for you, you just hope that it'll all come together. Yeah. We've seen both of that. You know, I, 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 you know, this, I didn't grow up playing the game, but I grew up playing sports and I've got, you know, friends that played in nearly every professional league in this country that I went to school with or that I've known. And there is, there is a, an interesting mixture between talent and dedication um, and there's also, you know, one of those things where you know, I've told you this for years, right? The, the biggest, uh, the biggest waste in life is, is potential, you know, but it's, it's not, it's not, it's not just potential. It's applied potential. Mm-hmm. Are we actually applying that potential that's there? So, so that was the crappiest advice you got. And that's, that's honestly terrible advice is that, well, you're just not good enough, kid. You'll never make it. You know, what, what, what would you feel? Um, what's the best advice that you received then? So I mean, maybe not the best advice ever, but on the top of my head, you know, some of the best advice that resonated with me as a coach was as a coach, your job is to always let a player know where they stand honestly and how they can develop honestly and what they need to do. So one of a coach told me, you know, as you want to get into coaching, your job is clear communication with every player. Example is, you know, am I telling my fourth string center back that if he does 100 pushups a night, he's going to be the best player on the team? Or am I being honest with him that maybe he needs to drop down a level and work on these four aspects in order for him to develop into the player that he could be? Um, Yeah. And I think that the hardest part is obviously that honesty piece. But if you can get that right, it also makes the world of a difference. Um, I mean, that makes it that that is that puts a lot of work. You know, some of the guests we've had on the show have talked a lot about communication from coaches to parents like that. You're talking about the context in a, on a club level, right? Not at not in the collegiate level. Both in the collegiate okay. level, letting players know where they stand. So, yeah, the collegiate, the rosters, you know, range between anywhere from 26 to 35 players. How do I let players know where they stand? Am I just telling every single player at the start of the year that they're coming in to compete for a starting 11 spot? We all know that's not true. You know, everybody knows that at the end of the day, there's 11 players and there's some players that, you know, will be in that 11 just based on how they are as a player. We know that they're doing the work in the off season. We know that naturally they have a ton of talent and they, they have the dedication and the, the passion, everything off the field to match that. But uh-huh. am I being honest with guy number one, guy number 11, guy number 20, and guy number 30 on the roster and letting them know where they stand 
and what my honest opinion is and how they can develop. You know, am I, do I have a player that I just don't rate that I never see playing ever that I inherited from another coach? Do I just keep lying to him and stringing him along? Or do I let him know that, you know, what he wants out of his playing career and his, you know, college experience is different than what I think will happen if he stays at the university thing, things of that aspect. It's all, it obviously can vary from the club level to, you know, a semi-pro team to a collegiate team, but that honesty of, of how you can help players, you know, what you think, where they fit in the roster and what you think they need to do to either continue elevating where their ceiling is and all that sort of things. Yeah, I mean, communication's key. You end up dealing with a lot less fallout and problems down the road if people have access to kind of know where they stand at all times. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of circle back in a few questions I have later on in the show. Um, and I want to circle back kind of to that idea about uh, communication and what that role looks like with parents and with kids. Um, how early to start having conversations about pathways and things like that. Um, so for you coming in as a coach, right, like. Um, what do you th- where do you see your your foundation like from a, a philosophy standpoint like what's Joe Lacasso's soccer philosophy like what what foundation and what philosophy are you trying to impose um, on and off the field yeah so I've thought about this a lot you know growing up everybody thinks you know about how they would play the game right everybody wants to be the coach um, when you're on the team and so my foundation has always been keep the ball on the floor get get on the ball, get it. Let's get expansive. When we have the ball, can we be dynamic in the attack? As I've kind of transitioned into coaching, I've kind of redefined it a little bit in the sense of, you know, everybody wanted to be Barcelona growing up. Everybody wants to be Barcelona, but is that realistic for me, my program, the players I've had have. So I've adapted um, towards the teams I have, but I kind of keep the same fundamental foundation that, you know, my philosophy would be, defensively let's get very compact let's be hard hard working gritty tough to break down when we have the ball can we be a dynamic uh possession oriented team that dominates and dictates the tempo in the attacking half so we want to be a team that's possession but do we want to have the ball you know 80 yards from the goal you know moving it at a slow tempo or can we get our center backs up to the midline can we get our outside backs high can we get very expansive be very dynamic and keep possession but really dictate that tempo in our attacking half. And I think that's that's kind of my philosophy. Yeah. How do you balance that with the players that you have in front of you? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. One of the one of the hardest things was, you know, when, when you transition into coaching and, you know, you want to get on a staff where you feel that you'll be valued and you can give an opinion, you know, you're not going to take a jump into, you know, one of the top, top 10 teams in the country. Um, you know, you're not going to be – coaching the best club team in the in the country so for me that was difficult because you know i when i got into coaching i i came to you know Asheville and i I then went on to mars hill university where two programs that were really struggling so you know we were a team that or we both teams i had weren't a team that was going to go dictate the game we weren't going to go dominate possession we weren't going to have 20 chances on goal each game and you know we were going to have to change the way we play so i've right really taken a lot of things from you know previous coaches but really the coaches I had at the time and people around me and bouncing ideas off them and I've learned to become much much harder defensively I've, I've learned to work on you know our shape and being a little bit more gritty and implementing more work ethic and kind of grinding on the defensive side to then lead into the attacking side um, you know what one thing I, I've had to I've taken my 08 team a team that 
you know, really struggled and we've gone and we've played a 4-4-2, very simple, basic defending principles first to then allow us to get on the ball and go forward. Yeah, you know what's funny, Joe, is that that reminds me a lot of your playing career, whether you realize it or not. You know, that you were very much a player that needed to adapt uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, you have the skill set that you have. And one of the things that was really so great about having you on the teams that we played on is that you were you were known as like the Swiss Army knife. If we needed a right back, like we knew that you understood the game to be able to play back there. If we needed a midfielder, great. If we needed you to play winger, like you you knew the game from different angles and because your your soccer IQ was so high and you were really good at the fundamentals, it made it very easy for the team and the squad and the coaching staff to trust you and to be able to adapt on the fly. And so what's what is this really funny is that you know, that, that, that goes back to that question I asked earlier. What are the philosophy and the principles that you're applying? It's very much who you embodied as a player on the field. And so, you know, I have no doubt that the teams that you're coaching, you know, are going to be a bit of that embodiment as well, which is really good, solid, foundational, you know, principles. And, and with that, too, you know, over time, that's going to lead to a lot of success. Um, small program, big program alone. And, and you know, I've talked with guys who have, you know, part of bigger teams, bigger programs and all that stuff. And, and those those same challenges you're discussing at the level that you're at are the same challenges that they have, you know, at other levels. I mean, we see it in world football today. Um, you know, is it the system or is it the players, you know, that you tailor the system to? And so it's always a balance uh, for coaches and for players to understand, you know, for crying out loud, look at Chelsea. You know, they, you know, look at the system that the coach wants to employ and look at all the players and all that, you know, that system that's on the bench, but they can't play seven wingers, you know, a game. Um, so we see this all the time. Uh, it's just really hard when it's under our watch and, you know, we, we have what we want and then we have what we got to work with. Um, you know, you said growing up, everybody wanted to be Barcelona, which is a little tough in a country like ours for the time and the technical ability where we were at, you know, where, where do you see in world football, you know, uh, coaching tactics, you know, things like that. Where is it that you, um, you get your inspiration from of what you'd like to see emulated? I'd say it's a it's a very big mixture of you know global football and taking coaches uh, that I've seen on television. Um, I actually took a trip over to England and got to explore some academies, watch a few Premier League teams train. Taking those ideas and just those small glimpses I've seen, you know what I see on TV and you know guys that I've always looked up to, you know reading a lot of their books. I you know I've, I've read Sir Alex Ferguson's book, I've read Peps and Cruyffs and reading all those books and taking you know, small, small little pieces of the, those people's and those obviously super successful coaches kind of philosophies and then tailoring it a lot to role models that I've had. So I've had a lot of fantastic coaches here in the U.S. growing up, you know, club coaches that are now professional coaches and some that have stayed in the youth, you know, some fantastic people I've worked with within college and that I've just ran into a, a, along the way, but taking ideas from almost everybody that you meet and almost spinning it to how it how you can implement it into your own environment you know i there's so many role models that i had that helped me get into coaching and that i still you know ask questions on you know daily weekly that just uh coaches that coached me at the youth level that now i can you know interact with as a coach and just completely hey i remember we did this you know why did we do that what was what was the goal for that and you know I use that a lot. I use a lot of role models and I try and take bits and pieces from almost everybody that I, I've worked with or that I see and 
just kind of go from there to form it into my own. You know, that kind of, um, one of the things we talk about consistently on this show, Joe, is that, you know, the need for coaching education to get better, the need for the, the mindset of coaches in our country to get better. Um, it seems that the old guard, if you will, is very, uh, reticent to, uh, give information away. Um, it's very closed door, very closed book. Um, there's just there's not a lot of wisdom being passed down. It's like, well, hey, I had to cut my teeth when no one no one cared. Good luck cutting yours. Um, being a younger coach, kind of coming into it, and then you know, obviously having the influences, but having the relationship with the the generation before, um, it it's really wonderful to hear uh, the relationships that you've built along the way, where you have the access to those um, that that wealth and resource of of wisdom, really, of what the games taught them outside of just the relationships you have though and books that are sitting on the bookshelf um i wonder if you if you are setting yourself up in the future as you're connecting with players today to also be that that kind of that hub and that wealth of resource do you find that being common uh in younger coaches or are you still seeing a lot of the principles that have guided coaching in this country over the last 50 years kind of stay the same I, th- I think it's a little more common for younger coaches kind of to be getting ideas from, from, you know, past coaches, past people they've worked with. But I also do think, you know, the U S structure is a bit hard, you know, taking, I had to take, you know, three grassroots courses before I could even apply for my D license, which is the basic license. And not that that's a problem by any means, but the resources available. I mean, it took me, you know, about, six, seven months of searching to finally find a grassroots course that could just fit my schedule because, you know, the closest one's two and a half hours away. Um, Right. Well, and they're also in the middle of the college season. So how am I supposed to, you know, miss out on a game to go two and a half hours away just to get my grassroots course where, well, then reflecting back, you know, I think there could have been potential way that I could have got into the D license just based on how long I had been coaching and my playing experience. So I do find it a little bit hard. I think young coaches, are a bit discouraged by the licensing. Um, yeah. One, one with, you know, the amount of little things you have to do before you can even get into, you know, one of the real licensing periods and also the expense. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough that my club is big on coaching education. My director is fantastic. And, you know, he, he watches every coach, he gives advice. He's, he's someone that can bounce ideas off of and they're willing to help pay for it. But other coaches, they're like, you know, I, I can't pay $3,000 for licensing. You know, that's, right. that's half my, my fee right there from, you know, my club team, like, how am I supposed to go do that? And so I think that's, that's where it's difficult for the young coaches is just getting access to those resources. But I do think, you know, a lot of young coaches like to bounce ideas off guys they've worked with in the past and guys that have coached them, especially, you know, the positive role models in our life and guys that we've taken so much from. Yep. Yeah. You know, one of the area, you know, I, I love to give praise where praise is due, right. And be critical where it's due as well. But, you know, one of the massive failures of the Federation, uh, during, you know, the, the dark medieval period that it seems that we've been in post Kuva has been, um, and what I see in coaching education in this country anyways, is there simply aren't enough classes. Um, I think that coaching education, like if we want to have a better, um, brand of, coach and soccer and development in this country, it doesn't start with the players. It starts with coaches of the players. And and nearly every person we've had on this show, Joe, has, has pretty much said the same thing from whether they're players or whether they're, you know, former coaches or current coaches or whatever the heck it would be. The, the federation must do a better job of, of making those 
the classes accessible, making them more affordable. Um, and it will just that's the fastest way for us to improve as a, as a as a whole country. And again, like you said, just the opportunity for you as a coach to keep pursuing it. Um, so let's pivot a little bit and kind of talk to some of those roles as an assistant coach that you've got right now. Um, can you share um, a little bit about what your job duties are? I mean, do you have any? Um, well, actually, just share about your job duties, and then I'll kind of see if you say what I where I want the conversation to go or not. <laughs> yeah, of course. So uh, my job duties, you know, entail a lot of planning with the coach. You know, what we would like to get out of training, but looking ahead, you know, two week block periods and developmental periods. You know, assisting and bringing my ideas in terms of that. On field duties, of course. You know, the head coach doesn't need to be running everything from a warm up to the to the last activity of the day. So taking some of those roles um, as an assistant coach, I find I can give a lot more individual feedback to certain players. So, you know, we're doing a, a bigger activity where the head coach is kind of overseeing everything. Well, you know, I can pull a player off to the side and be like, you know, what, what did you think in this instance? Could maybe you look for this, you know, how, how does what you do impact the team, things of that sort, pulling them aside. And then obviously the day-to-day -day activities of the office, um, you know, a little bit of the budgeting, the fundraising, things like that, having a lot of uh, meetings with the players, creating, you know, film breakdowns for players, film breakdowns for the team, and then a lot of recruiting. And, you know, recruiting is a massive one for an assistant coach. And that obviously ties into the program, but just kind of doing a lot of the things that a head coach doesn't need to be doing and taking a lot sure. of those minor tasks kind of off his hands. Yeah, and that was kind of along those lines of recruiting slash scouting. That was kind of where I was. I was hoping you would hit on because that's what I want to kind of chat about a little bit. Um, are you are you at in Are you able to at least share from a application a program standpoint just what software uh, you got? What What do you guys use as a program uh, for scouting? And so we use Instat a lot, um, okay. which is fantastic for obviously looking at professional players and a lot of colleges. Um, you know, not, not all the youth programs use that. So, but Instat is our, our big one that we use within our program. Um, okay. In terms of recruiting though, we, we have a system called arms, which is, you know, specific to us in terms of players filling out questionnaires and getting them within our system for compliance and all the resources. However, there's no one platform that we use specifically when we're scouting players or recruiting them just because, you know, it's hard with how many leagues there are here in the U.S. Um, they don't all use the same, they don't all use the same systems. They don't all, you know, go to the same events, things like that. And then internationally, you know, is a big one that we recruit from. We sure. use a lot, a lot more contacts and things, um, you know, guys that we've worked with in the past that we trust, guys that can give honest evaluations on players that know our program, know our needs, right. things like that. So we're, we're really big on using coaches, using um, kind of contacts that we've used in the past and guys that we trust to get honest evaluations. If we don't get a chance to see them fully, or, you know, we only get to see them for half a game at, at one event and it turned out to be a, a rainy day and sure, you know, they're, a, they're a left back and they didn't see much of the ball, things like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's real unfortunate that the game in, in the country and the way that the leagues are set up and pitted against one another that actually, it proves a lot of what I've talked about in the past that the system that we have set up right now that is tribalistic and siloed 
is absolutely preventing more kids in this country from getting opportunities to play soccer in, in, in collegiate and or professionally. And it's really opened the door for more international players to kind of come in um, and take those scholars. Not only – not take, but I mean, hey, they have to earn the opportunity, but colleges seem more willing to take uh, from an athletic standpoint – you know, maybe a more technical, more developed, more accessible player outside the country, give that education, give that soccer education as well, um, and give those opportunities um, over the, the, the kids that live here or that are in the community, which is, it just, man, it just nothing, nothing lights a fire under my tuchus, you know, uh, uh, about stuff like that. Um, 100%. Do you... I mean, there's leagues forming all, I, I actually joke about it, joke with it with my boss all the time is there's, there's leagues popping up every which way and leagues folding and you know what sucks is when two two big leagues decide oh we're gonna have our our main showcase or our playoffs on the same date and now yeah you got to choose which which one are you going to which one's yeah. better location wise for us as a staff and things of that sort but i 100 percent agree with what you just said yeah it's uh it's pretty damn greedy um and and it, it's not really keeping the player's best interest at mind it's it's more about keeping their own their own personal financial interests and it's a multi-billion dollar industry. You know, there's a lot of money that goes around and there's plenty of money for everybody to be really successful and taken care of. Um, if we can just show a better vision of what it could be for everybody. Do you guys kind of, uh, as a staff, I mean, how do you, um, what do you prioritize? Do you pri prioritize like the league ECNL type season or whatever league the ki kids are playing in? Or do you really kind of highlight the showcases and things like that? Um, so a bit of both. I'd say showcases are obviously big first in the sense of we get to go see more players. Um, you know, when a showcase comes and they're at a, a 20 field complex, we can bounce around and see, you know, five or six guys. The leagues are also important, though, because we can see kind of individual players, especially if they are coming somewhere in close proximity to our university. We can go watch them in a full game in more of a environment that that really they're comfortable in, right? The yeah. showcases, there's travel, you know, there's things, there's obviously players trying to get recruited by coaches. You know, the league matches are more, they want to win the game. They're very comfortable in the environment. They know what, more what to expect. So we use both, I would say, but obviously the showcases, you can get a wide range of players more, whereas the league matches are more when we specifically want to see somebody. Yeah. Um... Thinking back to your own playing career and thinking about the conversations that you're having with, with kids these days, um, it, when it comes to the pathway, when it comes to having a conversation – and you, you have this now on the college side. You had a former collegiate player, club, club player growing up and now you're a club coach as well. So you're, you're really going to be well-versed in my opinion to answer this question once I get to it. How young do you think is old enough to have the conversation about the pathway between parents and coaches and players about college or pro? How young? So it's obviously different for everybody. Um, there's no blanket answer just because of development. And, you know, I was a perfect example. I developed late in the sense of it changed maybe my trajectory a touch. But I would say, you know, really, really around the time they get into high school, you can you have a, a good idea of where you think their career might go. And obviously yeah. things can always change, you know, development always changes. However, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, eight year olds being put on a, a development and saying, you're going to be a pro like that, that is your path and you have to go with it. Or, you know, even, even 12 year olds, it's still tough to tell. But when you, when you really start to get to that, that high school age, you can start to tell 
in a sense, um, you know, where they might go. Um, not saying, you know, I was a player that when I went into high school, I was, you know, for me, it would have been great to get into college, to get into college and play, you know, whether that was a, you know, a division three, division two, II, division one, wherever it was, yeah. I, I would have been very happy as I grew, you know, as I grew into my body a little bit more, developed a little bit more. Well, now all of a sudden junior, senior year, I'm looking, okay, division one is definitely my pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and things. So I would say that those those things can change a little bit, but really I think towards high school you're starting to see what maybe that pathway would look like, knowing that a few of those lines could be could be blurred a bit or changed just depending on, you know, the work that the player keeps putting in, does put in, and how they kind of develop a little bit more over those next few years. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point because you know, it's one of the things the pathway is long. You know, and the earlier that you start kind of having those conversations without it being set in stone, right? You know, um, what we found and what the conversations that I've had, you know, even with my own kids and with other parents is that um, and a couple other academy directors and things like that is that the earlier that we can engage the parents in that process that it's not, you know, because in the United States, it's, you know, it's college or bust. You know, there hasn't been a big pathway for the professional rank. So it's it's college, 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 college. And the parents typically are a little bit more focused on the educational component. It's a nice thing to fall back on and have a degree. You could end up as a coach at a wonderful university, you know, and not be living at home till you're 35. Um, but uh, with that, too, um, I've also met kids that, frankly, at 10, 11 years old, it, it's kind of obvious that they're on the trajectory for a professional pathway. And the parents are a little hesitant because they were always dreaming of college for their kid too. So how do we we manage these things? And I've always just found it really healthy to have that conversation without it being super definitive uh, at the younger ages. You know, even pre-academy ages of just like, hey, like, did you know that college, like you could get a scholarship and go to college or that this might be something that you could really pursue? Um, we see it a little bit more on the boys' side where, you know, they hit, hit 16 and then, you know, no one can really talk to them. <laughs> They're just, they know everything and it's real hard on the soccer field. I know there's a lot of college coaches and across the country and a lot of soccer players across the country that are shaking their head yes because they either were there or they are there where they just kind of tune everything out and they, they know more. And so I just wonder if that mentorship is just along with parents coming alongside to kind of move from the director's seat to the, the counseling seat and the, the confidant seat uh, and the parental role that that could just be a really healthy environment for players as they develop. Um, yeah, I think conversations are really important. Like I said earlier, you know, I, I don't think it's ever too too early to have a conversation with a player. You know, I've yeah. even when I, I took over my 06, 06 team, you know, two years ago. So that would have put them at, you know, seventh and eighth graders. And we were going along and I just started asking a few few of the boys at a showcase or a tournament, like, you know, what, what do you want to get out of soccer? What do you want to get out? And I, you know, I remember telling one player, you know, that I think, you know, college is a very realistic op- option for him. And, you know, for me, it was just a, a simple Saturday in between games, not thinking too much. I thought it was a, you know, a very fair statement. And then come back the next week and his, his dad sent me a message like, hey, would you mind to talk? Like, you know, you really piqued his interest. Like, mm. you know, we didn't really think this was an option. Uh, yeah. But, you know, hearing you say that, knowing you're a college coach and you've been through the level, like, we'd love to kind of look, you know, have a conversation what that may look like. And for me, you know, not thinking much of it, maybe a little bit naive, young, just thinking, yeah, I thought that was a a pretty fair statement. I think he's, it's definitely in his plans. If he continues with the work ethic he has and the development plan, I think he's on. You know, a lot of times in the current landscape that we have as competitive as the club scene is, um, more conversations like that should, 
should happen between players and coaches because it's one of those things, you know, no player is really perfect, right? But everybody wants to know that somebody somewhere believes a little bit in them. And you just you hope for every kid in the country just to have that that experience where they know that hey somebody 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 believes in me and I can, that I can do this that, that little bit of self belief. I've been having conversations with my kids since they were you know ever kicked a soccer ball. You know I can remember you know there there are youth players from our country that you know young girls because you know I got three daughters. You know where I've you know I've talked to them like hey did you know that there's a girl from surf at 15 years old you know that signed a contract to go play in Sweden and they're like. Like, what does that mean? Like, well, she went and moved to Sweden with one of her parents. Like, Would you let me do that? I was like, I'd learn how to speak Swedish. Yeah, we'd figure things out. Like, what? Like, that's amazing. Or there's a, like a lot of kids don't even know that there's even academies where yeah. they can go do school online. And you basically that's you start playing soccer six, seven days a week. And, and you kind of go along that pathway. And I think it's really good to let let kids and parents know um, what options are really available out there. Not every kid gets those options. But man, it's really nice to know that that there's a, a a swath of opportunities. It's the biggest global game, and with it affords a ton of opportunities. Whether that be a college coach, professional player, or someone who um, comes back again, coaching at the club level or whatever that is, referee, anything like that. I think it's I think it's a really positive thing. Um, Joe, last question. Uh, we always ask this of every guest guest on our show, and um, and this wasn't on the list of questions that I sh- I, I put for a reason. Um, you are given the ability to basically, um, you know, put on the infinity gauntlet and make one sweeping change in the game in the country here in, in the United States. Um, what change do you make that happens immediately, and to what effect? Wow, that is a very good question. Good, yeah. I will take that. I put on the Infinity Gauntlet, and yep. the MLS becomes the Premier League of the world, the most watched league where everybody dreams of coming to the Major League Soccer and grows the game that way just because I think, you know, you you start filling out stadiums, all the best players, they all want to come to America, and I think naturally that grows the, the youth game into what I think we would all like to see in the U.S. Yeah. Let's just take away salary caps. That's maybe that's the, the, the number one way to do it, right? Oh, man, Joe, what a wonderful conversation today. Let's let's bring Marissa back in as we kind of round this out. And uh, I just want to say thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, appreciate your contributions. It's so wonderful to see how you are um, – live giving back to the game and living off the game you know so to speak but in a very healthy positive way um and i i think your players whether at the club level uh or at the um the collegiate level are are lucky to have you so thanks so much for coming on the show as well thank you so much for having me i thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and always happy to talk the game heck yeah buddy You're welcome back anytime. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'll, we'll all get out to see you in Asheville since I'm a little closer than Jason. But uh, um, definitely look forward to see how that how your career takes off from where you're yeah. at now. Yeah. And, sure. and believe me when I say this, Joe, well, one, if you come out to any tournaments out in the West Coast, let me know. And two, as our app continues to get developed, man, I'll make sure that I keep you on the, the short list of people to get a peek of it first. So oh, I think we can fantastic. help you. I think we can help you out in that scouting area uh, massively. So looking That'd forward to it. That would be very that. nice. Thank you. Of course, buddy. Enjoy your day. Great. Thanks again. Have a good one.